is going to be the entire book of Jonah. It's a slightly abridged version, and we're using the contemporary English version. So I invite you to settle in and receive this word. One day the Lord told Jonah, the son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and say to the people, The Lord has seen your terrible sins. You are doomed. Instead, Jonah ran from the Lord. He went to the seaport of Joppa and bought a ticket on a ship that was going to Spain. Then he got on the ship and sailed away to escape. But the Lord made a strong wind blow, and such a bad storm came up that the ship was about to be broken into pieces. The sailors were frightened. They all started praying to their gods. They even threw the ship's cargo overboard to make the ship lighter. All this time, Jonah was down below deck, sound asleep. The ship's captain went to him and said, How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will have pity on us and keep us from drowning. Finally, the sailors got together and said, Let us ask our gods to show us who caused us all this trouble. It turned out to be Jonah. They started asking him, Are you the one who brought all this trouble on us? What business are you in? Where do you come from? What is your country? Who are your people? I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. When the sailors heard this, they were frightened, because Jonah had already told them he was running from the Lord. Then they said, Do you know what you have done? The storm kept getting worse, until finally the sailors asked him, What should we do with you to make the sea calm down? Throw me into the sea, and it will calm down. I'm the cause of this terrible trouble. The sailors tried their best to row to the shore, but they could not do it. And the storm kept getting worse every minute. So they prayed to the Lord. Please, don't let us drown for taking this man's life. Don't hold us guilty for killing an innocent man. All of this happened because you wanted it to. Then they threw Jonah overboard and the sea calmed down. The sailors were so terrified, they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made all kinds of promises. The Lord sent a big fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. When I was in trouble, Lord, I prayed to you, and you listened to me. From the deep of the world of the dead, I begged for your help, and you answered my prayer. You threw me down to the bottom of the sea. The water was churning all around. I was completely covered by your mighty waves. I thought I was swept away from your sight, never again to see your holy temple. I was almost drowned by the swirling waters that surrounded me. Seaweed had wrapped around my head. I had sunk down below the underwater mountains. I knew that forever I would be a prisoner there. But you, Lord God, rescued me from that pit. When my life was slipping away, I remembered you. And in your holy temple, you heard my prayer. All who worship worthless idols turn from the God who offers them mercy. But with shouts of praise, I will offer a sacrifice to you, my Lord. 
I will keep my promise because you are the one with power to save. The Lord commanded the fish to vomit up Jonah on the, on the shore, and it did. Once again, the Lord told Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach his message of doom. Jonah obeyed the Lord and went to Nineveh. The city was so big, it took three days just to walk through it. After walking for a day, Jonah warned the people. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. They believed God's message and set a time when they would go without eating to show their sorrow. Then everyone in the city, no matter who they were, dressed in sackcloth. When the king of Nineveh heard what was happening, he also dressed in sackcloth. He left the royal palace and sat in dust. Then he and his officials set out an order for everyone in the city to obey. It said, None of you or your animals may eat or drink a thing. Each of you must wear sackcloth, and you must even put sackcloth on your animals. You must also pray to the Lord God with all your heart and stop being sinful and cruel. Maybe God will change his mind and have mercy on us so we won't be destroyed. When God saw that the people had stopped doing evil things, he had pity and did not destroy them as he had planned. Jonah was very upset and very angry, so he prayed. Our Lord, I knew from the very beginning that you would destroy Nineveh. That's why I left my own country and headed for Spain. You are a kind and merciful God, and you are very patient. You always show love, and you don't like to punish anyone, not even foreigners. Now let me die. I'd rather be off dead. The Lord replied, What right do you have to be angry? Jonah then left through the east gate of the city and made a shelter to protect himself from the sun. He sat under the shelter, waiting to see what would happen to Nineveh. The Lord made a vine grow up to shade Jonah's head and protect him from the sun. Jonah was very happy to have the vine, but early the next morning, the Lord sent a worm to chew on the vine and the vine dried up. During the day, the Lord sent a scorching wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head, making him feel faint. Jonah was ready to die and he shouted, I wish I were dead. But the Lord asked, Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? Yes, I do. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You are concerned about a vine that you did not plant or take care of, a vine that grew up in one night and died the next. In that city of Nineveh, there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell right from wrong. And many cattle are there also. Don't you think I should be concerned about that big city? Word of God, word of life. Back in the day before electronics and all these electronic games, children used to play tag, maybe nod if you remember playing tag. Tag is like this, a group of kids of all ages, usually out on a lawn or in a field somewhere, running around screaming, and they're running from it. 
It is the person who has been last tagged and they remain it until they can tag another person, which means they have to touch somebody else. And when they touch them, they say, tag, you're it. Before you become it, your job is to avoid being touched, right? To not become it. Although sometimes we might have slowed down a little bit and let ourselves be touched. But that's another story. And in that instant, when somebody would touch you and say, tag, you're it, your position changes. Now, instead of evading, you're pursuing. Instead of running away, you're running toward. One day, God tapped Jonah and said, you're it. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and warn them that I am about to destroy them for their evil ways. It was a fair request because Jonah is a prophet of God. He is a messenger of God. And so it's in his job description. It is his job to carry God's warnings and blessings to the people, which was fine when he was warning or comforting his own people. But Jonah didn't want to be it this time. He didn't want anything to do with saving the Assyrian people. He didn't want anything to do with helping that great city. They had caused nothing but trouble for God's people. The Assyrians are some of his worst enemies. It's hard when you were from a teeny powerless little country sandwiched between three major superpowers, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Egyptians. All you can do is try to survive and hope they don't strike up war and catch you in the middle. They are constantly having to pay more taxes so their kings can pay tributes to the Assyrians or whatever other conquering nation may have seized them. Jonah hates, truly hates Assyrians. And that's a human, a part of human nature. We sometimes relish the thought if we're really honest about it, really relish the thought of seeing our enemy suffer. We want them humiliated, utterly destroyed, their name wiped out. We want God's justice to pursue them relentlessly. And we expect God's grace and mercy for ourselves. Maybe you can think of one person, maybe just one, that you maybe feel that way about or have felt that way about in your life. One person that you think should be held accountable, who should pay for their mistakes, who should suffer because they've caused you to suffer. What if God wanted you to warn that person in person? What if God told you to go to them and tell them that they could avoid punishment if they would acknowledge the error of their ways, and maybe even if they didn't acknowledge it? What if God said, I want you to be a part of my mercy and forgiveness for that person? 
Jonah doesn't think that the Assyrians deserve a warning. He doesn't have any intention of delivering a warning. He's been waiting and dreaming for years about God getting back at them. The people of Nineveh, he thinks, should be just annihilated on the spot. He wants God to smite them from the face of the earth. And truth be told, he'd pay good money for a front row ticket so he could sit there and watch. He wants them to perish. He hates them that much. But God wants him to warn these people, to give them the opportunity to change, to repent, to be spared. And so God tags Jonah and says, you're it. And Jonah, the prophet of Israel, muttering under his breath and grumbling about it, packs a bag, grabs his suitcase, and heads off on vacation. Instead of boarding a ship headed east to Nineveh in northern Iraq, Jonah buys a ticket and boards a ship headed west to the sunny beaches of Spain. At this point, he is guilty of insurrection, if you stop and think about it. He is in defiance of a direct order from God. He should be court-martialed and hanged. But God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And God has mercy on Jonah, and God will not let Jonah fail. And so God creates this amazing storm at sea, this perilous storm that terrifies these seasoned sailors who've been through it all, and the storm is in an effort to turn Jonah around. It's so bad that all the sailors are praying to their gods. These are pagan sailors. They don't know the one true God of Israel. They're all praying, each one, to his own God, begging that these deities will have mercy and spare their lives. But God's prophet a religious leader, is not praying at all. He's asleep down in the belly of that ship, and they find him there, and they are furious and incredulous all at the same time. Who are you? What are you? Where do you come from? Who are your people? I mean, they just can't even imagine how anybody could be sitting there ignoring the fact that they might all sink in any moment. And then he tells them, yeah, the storm is my fault. They'd already kind of divined this by casting lots. And they have almost died because of this man. They have almost lost their ship and all their cargo because of this man. And they have no idea what he's done that's made his God so mad. They don't want to harm him on the off chance that maybe he's innocent. After all, these pagan strangers are giving Jonah the benefit of the doubt, trying to preserve his life, even though he may have harmed them. And instead of telling them to turn the ship around and take him back to shore, he tells them to throw, him, throw me into the sea. Just throw me into the ocean and all this will stop. Why? Because he knows he's guilty. He knows he deserves to die. And when they have no other choice, they throw him into the sea and Jonah begins to sink beneath the waves and down, down, down he goes, but the storm ceases and the sailors are saved. And when he has floated, you can just see him looking up at the surface of the water. When he has sunk all the way down to the lowest point in the floor of the sea, he's lying there in the Mariana Trench, 
And he can see the very gates of the realm of the dead. And he knows all is lost and he is gone. God relents. God sends, we, we call it a big fish. When you were kids and learning Bible stories, they told you Jonah was swallowed by a whale. It doesn't say whale. It, it, it describes something really big that lives in the sea. I had a professor tell me it was the chaos monster because the sea represents chaos. And so it's this giant chaos monster. Swallows Jonah whole. The fish obeys God's commands when the prophet would not and participates in the salvation of Jonah. And he's in the belly of the fish or the whale or the chaos monster for three days. And he finally prays while he's in there. And he's pulling lines from the Psalms, patching together a prayer, admitting defeat, calling for God's mercy, remembering God's benevolent acts in the past. And God has the chaos monster vomit Jonah out onto the shore. I love it. He gets up, you can picture him. He's covered in fish puke. There's little bits of seaweed wrapped around his face and hanging off of him, and he's plucking the seaweed off, and there's slime, and he stinks. And he stands there, and he pulls himself up, and God says to him a second time, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to them the message I give you. And so, covered in the vomit and smelling horrible, Jonah heads off to Nineveh and still grumbling, still pouting, reluctant to take part in God's plan of salvation for these hateful people. And Nineveh is so big, the narrator tells us, that it would take three days to walk across the city. Jonah is going to give this a half-baked effort at most. He kind of walks in a third of the way one day. Just enough. It's like when your parents told you to do something you didn't want to do, and you did just enough of the tour to get by and be able to say you did it, but you didn't really do it. Yeah. So he's standing there one day into a three-day city, and he stands on the street, and he says, he says, 40 days more and Nineveh will be destroyed. And we'll give him the benefit of that doubt. Maybe he shouted. 40 days more and Nineveh will be destroyed. And then he turns around and starts to walk out. He's supposed to warn this whole city that they're about to be destroyed. And he's going to spare. In Hebrew, it's five words. Five words, half-hearted effort, on a street corner somewhere, and then he backs out. He does not want this to work. The problem is God is not going to let Jonah fail. So by some miracle, somebody hears those five words. And believe it or not, in this pagan city, they actually believe the words, and they get that somehow this has to do with a powerful God. And so they proclaim a fast, and everybody's putting on sackcloth and putting ashes on their heads. You did this when you wanted God to not see you. It's camouflage. You put on some old, scratchy, brown stuff, and you sit down on the ground, and you put a lot of dirt on your head, and you hope as God goes over, God won't be able to see you and do anything to you or destroy you. And they're in mourning, and they're repenting, and they're confessing their sins, and even the king, when he hears about it, takes off his grand robes, puts on sackcloth and ashes, and then he says, everybody will turn from their evil ways and their national violence 
Even our cattle, put them in sackcloth and ashes too. Even the cows are going to be repentant in Nineveh. Maybe God will relent and have a change of mind. You know, they are making Jonah look so bad. Here is the man of God, an Israelite who knows the one true God, and they cannot do enough to change and apologize, and Jonah has not. Jonah is not repentant. Not really, not one iota. And sure enough, when God sees all this and their sincerity, God relents and says, you know, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to destroy this great city. I'm not bringing any calamity upon them. And Jonah says, I knew it. I knew it. I knew I told you even before I left home, this would happen. I would go and warn them, and they might repent, and you're a good and gracious and merciful God, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and quick to avoid punishment. So that's it. Fine. If that's how it's going to be, if you're going to let those people off the hook, then just kill me. It would be better for me to be dead than alive. He is right up in God's face with all that. And then he heads outside of town. He's actually made it to the eastern side. He's already gone all the way across town now. He's made it to the other side. He makes a little booth for himself so he'd have a little shade. You know, they're out there in northern Iraq. It's the desert. It's not real pretty and it's really hot. And he's sitting there and God is merciful to Jonah after that rant. In the middle of that tantrum, God makes this vine or bush, some shrub, to grow up over the little booth that Jonah has created and provide this wonderful cooling shade. So here is Jonah sitting there, pouting, waiting to watch hellfire and brimstone come down from heaven. He wants to see the Hiroshima bomb go off in person. He wants to see the annihilation of this enemy And he's basking in the shade that God has given him so mercifully. The next day, God sends a worm. You know, everything obeys God but Jonah. The worm obeys the Lord, and it eats the little bush that had just grown up, and it withers away, and Jonah gets angry. And God says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about that bush? And Jonah's still petulant. Yes! and angry enough to die. And God says, you know, you were so concerned about that bush, but you didn't do anything to cause that bush to grow, and you didn't do anything to tend it, and it, was, it came yesterday, and it's gone the next. He said, if you are so interested in a bush that you have absolutely no investment in, shouldn't I be concerned about Nineveh? That great city that has 120,000 people living in it, not counting all the animals that live there too. And God did not let Jonah die. We have all turned against God at some point in our lives. I, that is guaranteed. If we're human, we've done it. We can deny it, but we've done it. We have all failed in our mission at some point in our lives. We have all failed to do what is right 
at some point in our lives. We have all been evil and unjust at some point in our lives, and we should all, if God were truly just, be court-martialed for insurrection, and we all deserve to die. And yet we live. And yet we live. And yet we are filled with the breath of life. And yet God is gracious and has touched us with kindness and gentleness and compassion. And God has pardoned us, whether we are repentant like the Assyrians or whether we're still pouting and grumbling about the injustice like Jonah. God looks on us with love and forgives. God forgives. And maybe we're left wrestling a little bit with the goodness of God that doesn't discriminate between people or animals or anything that God has made. Maybe we wrestle with this goodness of God that demands that we be God's grace to our enemy and to the innocent in their midst. And the goodness hounds us. It follows us into the belly of the beast and into the belly of the boat and into every single place where we try to escape that calling. Because God calls us to speak out the saving truth of repentance and mercy for all of God's people, whether we like them or not. Tag, you're it. <laughs>